Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in. I'm the ESOP guy, and let's continue on this journey to an ESOP. This podcast is for those that are thinking they might want to consider an ESOP company, becoming an ESOP company, whether that is through a growth strategy, a succession strategy, or maybe even an exit plan for their business. Today, I'm excited to have the privilege of interviewing Margie Morris with the Guignard Company from Central Florida. They literally have clients all over the United States. Uh, Margie has 33 years of experience. She started working in bonding um, with the Travelers Company and is now a partner with the Guignard Company, and she's been there for 18 years. She is a prominent bonding agent in the Florida marketplace and has a wide breadth of experience in working with all types of bonding programs. Margie has experience in working through the entire ESOP process from beginning to end. Uh, today, we are going to discuss the impact of a construction company going through the process of becoming an ESOP. We'll discuss the issues related to a company's balance sheet and income statement and really other factors that affect their future bonding capacity. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the ESOP podcast and share it with a friend. So today, thank you, Margie, for joining us. Thank you, Phil. It's my pleasure to join you today. Great. So Margie, I wanted to start with just my own my own experience in working with construction companies um, over the last 20 years. Has I've seen this over and over is that the Companies that they are owned by um, either one owner or multiple owners um, usually have um, a limited um, amount of options when it comes to selling their business. Um, how often are you guys running into succession and exit planning when you're talking to your to your clients? Great question. We we have this conversation with our clients on a regular basis. We know it's a sensitive subject to a sole owner of a construction company, and so we have to have a lot of discussions over a couple of years mulling over the options uh, before we can truly put something in place. You know, when you consider the life of a contractor, the constant is, is that individual owner. You know, the employees come and go, so when you have a sole owner with no succession planning, then eventually they become a higher risk to creditors depending on, you know, the project size, length of project duration. So we definitely encourage our clients to evaluate this early and evaluate it at least annually. Yeah, and that's, and that's one of our experiences. And one, one of the things that has been um, really interesting and, and great for me too is, is, is working in tandem in terms of our practice and also in tandem with the bonding agent, which Margie's really good at. Um, working with her clients. So when working as a team together, we really do help represent a client much better in the process and coordinating all these efforts. Uh, Margie, given the COVID crisis right now that, that we're, we're out, that we're under, um, and the amount of uncertainty that is in the marketplace, what I'm, what I'm experiencing with a lot of the planning is, is it's very, people are looking at this as, let me, let me hold off on doing a lot of planning right now because I've got to deal with, the, the COVID crisis, which I absolutely agree with because we know that, you know, we have to take care of things. But there are elements within the, um, the planning process that I think are really incredibly important, um, such as um, updating the company's forecast, which is something that we use early on in the process of going, of taking a company through um, to an ESOP, um, given the discounted valuation approach. So in your opinion, Margie, 
with all this is happening, um, what should what should companies be focusing on right now? Um, in in how do we kind of balance out that idea that they they still need to be planning for the future? Well, given what's going on with the COVID nineteen, we are seeing you know various things going on with projects either getting canceled or suspended, and that in itself creates you know from an unknown period of time you know how to collect receivables you know, managing cash flow and really evaluating, you know, all the things that go into, you know, pulling on and off a project. So cash flow forecasts becomes critical, I think, in this situation and in any situation. And it's a big piece of the equation. You know, in addition to the, uh, the forecasting of cash flow, you need to be forecasting in general, you know, because everybody's looking at, you know, what are the what are the owners doing with the contracts? And so we definitely are encouraging uh, the owners to be doing deep forecasts um, to keep things current. Excellent. Yeah, and I and I and I totally agree with that. And I think sometimes we we get so it's so involved in the managing a crisis that we 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 don't necessarily always keep going on the other on the other elements of what you're supposed to be planning, which are the forecasts. Um, one of the things I see are, are common when we do have these kind of crises is, is what do I do with my business? And I have, um, you know, the, the idea behind an ESOP is that you, it is an internal sale at the end of the day. Um, there are, there are certainly things you have to take care of on the outside, um, with your trustee, but there is definitely more of a, of an opportunity to manage through a difficult economy when you have done an internal sale. So for the companies that have already done an ESOP, um, they're managing that just like anybody else would, but it's not like they, they've lost control of, of that from an internal standpoint. Um, but keeping the ones that are going towards that process, I think is, is really the suggestion is, is continue to build your forecasts and, and update those, um, as you go. Margie, in your experience in the marketplace, what are the issues related to construction companies evaluating, you know, just in general, whether an ESOP, an employee stock ownership plan will work for their plans towards succession um, in relationship to the con- continuation of their bonding program um, and really kind of what makes this, what makes a successful ESOP company? Well, I think the issue I see in succession planning is where the owner doesn't do anything. And I think, you know, an ESOP, it can be a little foreign and it takes time for, to go through that process. You know, to really take the time and understand it, you know, to, from start to finish, it could be anywhere from four to six months. So I think it's, you know, very difficult when the owner um, is trying to decide, you know, giving up ownership or having to disclose financial information. So it, it's, a, it's a process that you need, you want to start and really understand because the benefits are are huge uh, once you go through it. So it does work, that you thought works well when you have an owner who has uh, a team of, of employees, uh, wants the legacy to carry on, you know, and to have that part of it and then understanding the tax implications. So there is quite a bit for the owner have, um, having to be comfortable with uh, understanding. So, you know, what I think works really well and what I've seen that works really well is when you have a business, we call it, say the three pillars, uh, that helps with that process on the back side of it, 
is you need to, the owner needs to make sure that they have a team of people that someone is, uh, that can to lead the company uh, alongside them or even when they've gone. So you want to make sure the leadership team, that there's someone that can actually take that lead and carry the vision on with the company. You also want to have a strong CFO who understands the deeper level of accounting because there is a deep dive in information that the, uh, the CFO needs to provide both internally and externally uh, in order to keep the ESOP you know, valid. Um, and then an operations person. So when you have um, I, all those three key components and you've had them there for a period of time, it, it gives lends comfort not only to the, the seller, but it also lends comfort to the um, any out external creditors that are lending credit, you know, from a bonding standpoint. You know, and lastly, I would say is also identifying beyond the next level of, of rising leaders, uh, beyond the new, the, not from the owner, but from the leadership team that's in place, because you're constantly wanting to keep the tra- that going. So mm-hmm. you're always wanting to identify who the next generation is beyond your generation. Yeah. And, and so what I like about this, this conversation is that these are things that whether you go towards an ESOP company or not, are all elements of just good business. And, and what, we're, what Margie and I were getting at, too, is this idea that your ESOP, as if a company is going to go towards an ESOP as a construction company, one of the aspects of that is we really need to get the, the surety company comfortable with this environment. And what she's really saying is, is that the leadership of that company is really critical in demonstrating to the surety company that they're able to manage this transition. And, and that kind of applies towards any, any aspect of a transition, whether it be towards an ESOP or anything else. And, and the experience I have is it's really never too early to start this process to work towards that. And I've got one I've been working on for really three years because there's been a lot of starts and stops. And the starts and stops have been to identify ways we can really make this a little bit of a better situation. And, and a lot of what the work we've done with this one client has been to try to increase and um, improve this, this leadership group that they have at the top end. And so those have actually led to more success for the actual business, even though we haven't yet pulled the trigger on the ESOP. And so I think the the general idea here is that even going towards this process, any kind of succession process is going to be valuable um, if you have the right team um, and advisors around you to, to help you through this, through that very, like those important steps. Margie, that, that kind of sets us up to discuss from a, and this is from a construction company standpoint, credit risk. Um, in that, the, the longer they take to put a plan together, you know, and that means, you know, your construction company that's waiting and waiting, um, there's inherently more risk due the, to the age of the owners and other aspects that they've been, they've been delaying really kind of building this, this leadership team. What are some aspects of credit risk that you find related to, um, you know, directly related to succession planning or the lack of succession planning? Well, the biggest credit risk um, is how far a surety will uh, extend surety credit to a contractor. So, you know, again, surety is extremely relationship-driven. So you really want to know, you know, the health of the owner, the age of the owner, who's around that owner, um, relative to, again, the, ma- the management team, 
you know, we always say, you know, if it's a sole owner, for example, a 70-year-old single owner taking on, say, a $50 million project that spans over two years is, with no succession planning in place is, a, is considered a higher risk uh, to the surety. You know, ultimately the surety will want to know who can finish that job in the event something does happen. And so we really encourage, you know, um, that being the biggest risk is, you know, how far will a surety go? Exactly. Now, I know that um, when you have that risk happening, it's more difficult as a bonding agent to get them, you know, bigger and bigger programs if they're trying to really grow their business. And uh, I think that's important that we all kind of look at that and say, when when should a 70-year-old have a plan? And obviously, it sounds kind of obvious, but it's very difficult, I think, sometimes because delays happen and, and you get to a point where um, they're just um, – they just delayed so much and procrastinated that it becomes more difficult as, as time goes on. Um, yeah, because it's hard for them to, you know, look around at that point in time and say, who are they going to, who, who's going to take over the company now? And really with any strategy, when it comes to selling your business, if it's an ESOP or even a management buyout, you're still going to have to get people to operate your business for you. So you can't start soon enough to transition those roles within the company, which was one of the reasons I did one of my podcasts on the management transition planning um, and really spent two, two, actually two podcast episodes on just that issue. Um, so how, how does the surety company look at um, when you look at the credit worthiness of a, of a construction company, when you're comparing the, um, so when I look at an ESOP, the tax advantages of an ESOP compared to a management buyout really do like, for me, they when I put that into a model, I'm getting a lot more cash flow coming out of an ESOP because I have I'm paying as an S corp I'm paying really no taxes. Comparatively, if I look at that with an uh, with a management buyout, they're paying all those debt payments after tax, and so there's there's in some cases very significantly different differences in that cash flow. And if I have a company that has more cash flow in general, they're going to be able to build their balance sheet stronger. Um, and they're going to kind of get out of debt quicker than they would. And so when I look at the comparative between an ESOP and, an, and a management buyout, I'm looking at it from the standpoint that the, the, the ESOP actually feels like it has less credit, less risk, less credit risk. Um, how does the surety company look at that issue? Well, the surety company, when they look at it, they look at um, can the, con- the ability of the contractor to make money and debt service. So the surety is truly going to focus on the company meeting the forecasts, their management ability to continue securing work uh, and, you know, completing the work profitably and, you know, at the levels uh, that um, that will help uh, manage the debt service. So that that's going to be the key for the surety. Yeah. And so in keeping with that, one of the things that I, I think is important is, is to, and this comes back to the forecasting thing, is to have a very strong um, forecast. When we do an ESOP, what we do is we, we, we work them through a five-year forecast. And then we're using that in the um, in the effort to yes, determine your cash flow break-even points. And in order to make sure we are able to communicate that directly back to the to the uh, surety and say, this this would be a good ESOP because they can meet these cash flow payments. Um, so I know that that's a big part of it. And so how do you, so you guys, when you look at that issue, 
Um, I know a lot of your clients are doing, you know, those kind of forecasts. Um, so you guys, when you support that, how does that work for you? The company, the surety will look at, you know, once the ESOP is complete, then they're going to look at the, the, the post-transaction of the balance sheet and how that, what that reveals. And so that becomes what they focus on is, you know, over the next two years, because typically construction projects go anywhere from one to two years, they want to know that there's the revenue and backlog to support, you know, um, any of the debt service, you know, pertaining to the ESOP or anything else that's sitting on the balance sheet. So they really are going to take a hard look at the working capital, um, you know, what additional resources are available if needed uh, to, to help continue the bonding program that the contractor is accustomed to having. And that can, that triggers potentially, you know, uh, capital retention agreements or personal indemnity or subordination of the loan. So it could be a multiple of things. It, it really just depends on, on the level of the surety support that's being required and, uh, and how the relationship is with the contractor and, and the surety. Right. So, so one thing that was a question that I had was, I know with personal indemnity being an issue and the owner is trying to um, sell their portion of, the, of what they own in the company, how, how does that work when the surety is saying, hey, no, we need this personal indemnity to continue your bond program? So the personal indemnity, is, it depends on the indemnity package that was put in place before the ESOP transaction. So, for example, if you have a contractor who had no personal indemnity before they went into the ESOP, uh, the personal indemnity may be required uh, to a, a level or it may not, depending on how the balance sheet appears. So, you know, they always, the surety always wants to know that the, the person, the company who founded, the owner who founded the company is still engaged because obviously they want the company to succeed, and so they want to make sure that the owner is available uh, to some level, or if the management team is willing to uh, step up, you know, at some point. But it, it really is a, a question and a conversation that has to take place early on because, you know, the indemnity, if it was on the table prior or not on the table, it, it all is going to depend on, you know, how the conversation flows and the level of surety support that's being required um, throughout the process. So, it, unfortunately, it's not black and white, but it's a conversation that needs to be had way up front. Right. And that's, and that's really what we, what we try to support in this is go through the due diligence or go through the, uh, the valuation and the feasibility stage. And then the next step is to meet with your bonding agent and really discuss this um, as a possibility and get their influence at the very front end of the potential ESOP transaction before you, you get too far in the process and spend a lot of money. Um, you want to nail down the personal indemnity and other factors. Um, that brings us to this other question of how, you know, working capital is a very big part of our modeling. How does the surety company look at working capital um, and in terms of, of what you need to make sure that that company is sustainable? So working capital is 
it's key to the charity company uh, to continue lending charity support for a contractor. So the quality of the working capital, I always say there's good working capital and bad working capital. For example, if you have a company that has a million dollars in working capital, how is that working capital made up? Is it made up of receivables and underbillings, or is it made up of a good balance of cash, receivable, and underbillings? So the surety is going to weigh in heavily on what makes up that $1 million working capital. And so if the working capital, for example, is, is majority cash, collectible receivables, and minimal underbillings, then that's that good working capital, and then they're going to determine the bonding program based off of that. They're going to look at the working capital, the backlog. So we always say for a general contractor, the surety will go to what's called a 5% case. What that means is that they have a million dollars in working capital, that would a 5% case would give them a $20 million program. Um, or sometimes if it's a subcontractor, they may want to see a 10% working capital case, which means that they had a million dollars in working capital, that would give them a $10 million program. That makes sense. So the working capital becomes, you know, uh, very important, and that's how the surety would calculate it, is they would look at what makes up the, what makes up the working capital. And then the bonding company um, that understands the whole ESOP will understand that you know, the equity side of it will be flipped upside down, but they're they're going to look at the total debt and you know working capital is what gets you out of out of problems. You know, not the not necessarily the the equity. Now, I think that that last point is very important too. I, not all bonding companies, in your experience, are that are as familiar with or maybe even comfortable with ESOPs. So, I think one one aspect of that is you you really do need to make sure that you've aligned yourself. In your uh, in your approach to, to going towards an ease up with the professionals that can really help you and support you that understand that that process and I know um, with Margie's experience she's had other clients that were with bonding companies that weren't necessarily understanding ESOPs and we and she had to do some work um, to move those those companies into different programs is that do you have anything else to, to add to that on, on your experience with um, bonding companies up front, you know, your your external partners become extremely critical in, in going through the ESOP. You, you want to make sure you have the right uh, CPA. You want to make sure you have a um, your bonding agent who is communicating way up front um, to the surety and to evaluate if that surety really is knowledgeable with ESOPs and what the what the obstacles will be. And so it, it's really more about the communicating and who your external team is. And I always say, you know, just always, you know, we always ask, you know, what's what's the experience? How how much experience do you have uh, with ESOPs? And because they're all different, and you know, every everybody's going to look at it differently. So, you know, just having the right ex, uh, team externally is going to be the key to maneuvering through the process. Thank you so much. And Margie, I, I, we're out of time now, but I just wanted to say thank you so much for your time today. Um, having inf- information from a bonding perspective is so important and so valuable. Uh, your experience has just, you know, been really important and critical in this whole process of looking at, at, at companies that want to go through the ESOP process. 
Um, as, I, as we close out, I just want to remind you, if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend. Um, have a great day, and we will look forward to next time.